<coughs> Sorry, I got a bit of a croak this morning, so uh, bear with me perhaps at times. I don't know how you um, respond or, or perhaps not respond um, when you see people uh, begging um, uh, on the streets of Gloucester or you see people um, selling the big issue. Um, you can't go through Gloucester city centre without seeing such people. And I guess, I don't know about you, I always find it a bit of a challenge to what do I do? And often, of course, the reality is I do nothing. I walk past. Occasionally, I stop and talk uh, or give them something or buy the big issue or whatever else. Not that I ever read it, but I feel I ought to buy it. This, um, of course, this happens, doesn't it, in this passage that Darren has just read to us. Uh, back in November last year, there was a story um, in the BBC News about a guy who'd been to a remembrance service and on his way out from the remembrance service, he saw a man uh, looked like a homeless man on a bench nearby. And uh, instead of ignoring him, he thought he should at least go and um, speak to him. So he went over to him to offer him a cigarette. That's a, a kind thing to do, I guess. He went over and offered this man a cigarette. And then as he, as he started chatting to him, um, questions began to arise in his mind. And the upshot of it all was that he realized that he found out that the man he was talking to was his brother, who he'd not seen for 28 years and hadn't seen since he was a baby, through due to family circumstances. And uh, the, the article ended by saying this. The, the man, the younger brother who'd been found, said, my life changed when he came to me that day. My life changed when he came to me that day goes on to tell how it changed. And I guess that certainly could be said, couldn't it, for this man that we've read about this morning. That <laughs> my life changed that day I met uh, Peter and John in the temple courts. We're looking at this book of Acts and we're looking at, at actually how God worked. God worked through his church. Two weeks ago, um, David opened it up, the, the, the Acts, and reminded us, you know, right at the beginning of Acts, Acts chapter to 1, it says, because um, uh, we know that Luke wrote this gospel, wrote the book of Acts as well as the book of Luke, and he says, I wrote about, in my former book, i.e. Luke, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taking up to heaven. And the book of Acts is a continuation, in a sense, as David said then, a continuation of what Jesus continued to do and to teach, albeit now through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, through the church, through, and particularly, of course, in this first instance, through the apostles. And as we look at this section this morning, as I first read it through, it, it obviously clearly divides, doesn't it, this chapter into two sections. We have the miracle and we have the message. A miracle happens <coughs> and then Peter takes the opportunity and he preaches a message. 
And of course, miracles and message go together. It went together in the ministry of Jesus, didn't it? It went together when Jesus sent out the twelve. Happened when Jesus sent out the seventy-two. And so this was, this was normal practice in a sense, that these miracles accompanied the preaching and proclamation of the message. And of course that raises questions for us, doesn't it, even about today. How should miracles and wonders connect? Should they also be connected with the message? I just, I'm going to raise some questions, by the way, for you, in terms of application of this passage to community groups. Um, and and uh, so we won't be as asking the questions now, but perhaps in your community groups you'll be thinking about one or two of these things. But as I looked at this, <coughs> I began to see that actually as well as these things two being connected, they're connected in another way, in a deeper sense. Because there was a message in the miracle. And there's a miracle in the message. Got that? There's a message in the miracle itself, and there is a miracle in the message. And I hope as we look through this text together, we'll see, we'll see something of that. So let's look at the text very quickly. Uh, Acts, Acts chapter 3, of course, and have your Bibles open. We end Acts chapter 2. Chris last week looked at those wonderful verses at the end of Acts chapter 2, where we see, we see what the Holy Spirit was doing in the lives of these believers to make them a witness in their world and to the people. And the wonderful things that we see happening there, and of course we would long to see more of those things being true and happening amongst us. And Acts chapter 2 ends, doesn't it, with the people praising God and enjoying the favour of all people, and the Lord adding to their number daily those who were being saved. So 3,000 were added then, but then in the days that followed, People were being added to the church day by day. Is that, is that what is meant to happen? Is that what is meant to happen? Is that what we should expect to happen? I'll leave that question with you. And then the beginning of chapter 3, of course, Peter and John going up to the temple at the time of prayer. That's interesting, isn't it? Now, these were set prayer times in the, in the Jewish daily um, uh, calendar, as it were. Three o'clock in the afternoon was a set prayer time, and Peter and John go to pray. It's interesting, isn't it? But they still followed this practice of going to pray. I wonder what they'd pray when they went to the temple. Perhaps they'd remember the prayer that Jesus taught them and Luke records for us in, in Luke chapter 11, didn't it? Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come here. Your kingdom come here in Jerusalem as you've said it should and would. And uh, the Peter and John walk into the temple and they're not the only one going to the temple because this beggar this crippled man, who's a beggar, is also going to the temple do. And he's, he's no, doubt, no doubt got his spots. You know, just like people who've got their spots when they sell the big issue, you, say, you often see the same person in the same place, don't you, in Gloucester City Centre? Uh, there's a girl who stands outside Marks and Spencer's, and 
Well, this guy's got his spot, I think, and his spot is right at the beautiful gate. The beautiful gate is one of the main entrances to the temple. Many, many people would be coming through that gate day by day. So that's why many people knew this guy, because they'd seen him day after day, week after week, month after month. We don't know how old he was, don't know how long he's been there. (coughs) My guess is some time. And uh, I guess there'd be other beggars there, because it was such such a, a good place to be. I can imagine them almost sort of jostling, you know, for position. The beggars sort of elbowing each other out the way, maybe, trying to get one of those good spots where they were right in the flow of people and, uh, and they could therefore expect maximum, maximum returns from their, their begging. So many, I'm sure there's plenty of other beggars and Peter and John would have walked past other beggars and I think Peter and John would have walked past this man before too. I don't think this is the first time they, in a sense, they would have seen this man. And the beggar does what beggars do, and he asks them for money. That point, isn't it, where we don't know how to respond when somebody says, big issue, or got anything to give, sir? And we don't know what to do. And, 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 And Peter and John, this time, look at him, don't they? They look straight at him. And... And they know they're not going to, uh, this is not for a chat. This is not to give him money. This is not to give him a sandwich. This is because at that point, in some way that we can't not explain, in some, but in that point, God, I guess, by his Holy Spirit, has revealed to them and has given them faith for what he's going to do in this man's life. And so they turn to him, don't they? And they say, literally, they just say, walk. In some, trans- in, some, uh, in some of the manuscripts, it's just walk. We haven't got any silver and gold to give you, but what we have got is walk. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And he jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. We all know, well, some of us know the song that we used to sing in Sunday school, don't we, perhaps? About, I'm not going to sing it, about walking and leaping and praising God. And this is a miracle, isn't it? This is a miracle because this guy had never walked. He wouldn't have had any muscles that would allow him to walk. I mean, I struggled walking, you know, even just having a minor op and affecting my hip and muscles. This guy's never walked. He's never learnt to walk. He's been crippled from birth. So he's never had that. You know, I struggled even though I used to know, I knew how to walk before the operation. This guy's never walked. And he's made strong and well. And people naturally are absolutely amazed at what has happened because they've also seen this guy sitting there day after day, week after week, year after year and they have one question it's the question that we'd ask if we'd seen it happen they were saying 
How did this happen? How could this happen? How? It's just, it's just, it's just totally unbelievable. And there's this man still holding on to, to Peter and John, you know, as they go into the, into the colonnade, which we know from later in Acts is where, the, is where the Christian believers used to meet day by day. And he's holding on to them. The expression is actually is the same word for when you're being arrested by the police. That's how, that's how tightly he was holding on to them. He wasn't going to let them go. And you can imagine the, the people gathering around, wanting to know how this happened. And Peter, of course, goes on to say, doesn't he, how it's happened. It is, be, it is, it is faith in the name, <coughs> faith in the name of Jesus that's caused this to happen. In the message it reads, faith in Jesus put this man on his feet. Faith in Jesus put this man on his feet. A miracle, a wonderful miracle has happened. But Peter takes the opportunity, doesn't he, to preach a message. Very similar to what happened, in a sense, what happened in Acts chapter 2, wasn't it? Something wonderful had happened, which caused people to ask all sorts of questions. In Acts chapter 2, it's the, peop- it's the apostles speaking in all these different languages, to all these different nationalities. And then Peter takes the opportunity to, just to explain, in a sense, what has happened, but also to preach a message of salvation. And that's what happens here, doesn't it? Peter takes the opportunity. And, uh, and in many ways, the sermon that he preaches is very similar to the one that he's preached in Acts chapter 2. <coughs> but as he preaches the sermon, we can see two things, which is also, I said, c- consistent with Acts chapter 2. He wants to speak about who Jesus is. First and foremost, he wants to speak about who Jesus is. And secondly, he wants to speak about, to them about who they are. He wants to speak about who Jesus is and what he's done. He wants to speak to them about who they are and what they've done. And that's what he does in verses 13 to 15. Here's a, I, I guess some of you would like our sermons to be as short as this. If we just read 13 to 15, <coughs> he says... Um, we'll go back to 12. Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he, Pilate, had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one, and you asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed, isn't this a wonderful phrase? You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. He says some things about Jesus. And he says some things about them. Very quickly, I'm not taking the order, but I'm going to just reverse the order in which of what it, the things he says about Jesus the way he describes it. He says that Jesus was the author of life. Jesus is the author of life. All life. Everything that, that, that is living has come through him. That is who he was. That is who he is. All things were made through him. In him was life. John writes. This Jesus was also a servant. 
He came to this earth and he lived as a servant. You know that. You can see that in all that he did. He served people. Most obviously, famously, perhaps in terms of our thinking, in terms of the washing of the disciples' feet. But Jesus said, I didn't come to serve. I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. He's the author of life. He also became a servant. And he is the holy and righteous one. The way he lived, this is the only person, the only one who could ever have this description applied to him. The only human being that could ever be described as holy and righteous. And that was Jesus. He was blameless, without fault, without sin. You killed him, but God has raised him. Death could not hold him. His body could not see decay. And finally, God has glorified his servant, Jesus. These are all things that he says in those few verses about the Lord Jesus. He is now glorified. He is now honored. He now sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven. That is who Jesus was and is. And you? You disowned him. You failed to recognize who he was. You rejected him. In fact, when Pilate wanted to set him free, you said no. You said execute him. Even though Pilate recognized there was no reason to put him to death. You chose to call for his crucifixion. You killed him. You are responsible for his death. You should have known. You should have known who he was. Shouldn't you? Because all the prophets pointed to this man. You knew what the prophets said. You saw the life of Jesus. You saw how he was. You saw the things that he did. You saw the miracles. You saw his blameless life. You should have been able to put those two things together. And you should have known, therefore, that he was the Messiah. But you didn't want to know, did you? You didn't want to know. You wanted to make your own choice. You didn't want this man among you. You didn't want him to be your king. And so you killed him. And you know what, folks? You were wrong. You were wrong. We are witnesses of the resurrection. We've seen him alive. And this man standing here today, who'd never walked in his entire life, that you now see walking and jumping and praising God, is proof that you're wrong and that Jesus was right. That's the sort of essence of the sermon, isn't it? The message. And how would you feel if you were one of those, listening to that message and you knew it was true? You knew that you or your friends or your family, you were the ones who called out crucify. And you knew that the things that Peter was now saying about Jesus were true. How would you feel? It doesn't tell us how they felt here. It tells us, didn't they, in Acts chapter 2, how they felt after the sermon that David referred to. It says in Acts chapter 2, they were cut to the heart. 
because God now revealed it by his, his Holy Spirit that what Peter was saying was actually the truth. And they couldn't ignore it. That's the message, though the message continues, doesn't it, in those verses that follow. So by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong, it is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this, given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. They deserved, didn't they? They deserved to be punished for what they'd done. They'd consciously made a choice to reject the author of life because it didn't fit with what they wanted, how they wanted things to be. They deserved punishment. And if the sermon, had, in one sense, had Peter had gone on to say, you deserve the wrath of God. You deserve his judgment. You deserve to be separated from him forever because of what you've done. That would be just. That would be justice. But he doesn't say that, does he? And this now is the miracle, in a sense, in the message. He says, all right, you did it. And he says, all right, I accept that perhaps you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But you know what? Although you were responsible, you caused this to happen. This was also God's plan. This was God's plan of salvation. First for you. And then, indeed, to all peoples. God had his plans. A bit like Joseph, isn't it, in the, Old, uh, in the Old Testament, when his brothers sold him as a slave, and one day they had to stand before him, and they realized who he was. And they were really worried <laughs> about what he was going to do. And he said, you sold me. But actually the truth was, the truth also was that God sent me to save you, to save our people and God's purposes to be worked out. And, and this is what Peter now says, isn't it? That this was part of God's plan of salvation that goes right back to Abraham and the promise that was made to him that through his offspring, singular, seed, that through his offspring all peoples will be blessed. But this is the miracle, I think, that Peter now says to these people, the message is, is that God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you. Despite all you've done, God wants to bring you his blessing. And if you will turn and repent, if you'll recognize now who Jesus is, and if you'll accept and turn from your sin and turn to God, then God's blessings will come to you. Your sins will be wiped away, wiped out. 
gone without a trace. The phrase wiped out or blotted out is a phrase that's used when, when they used to um, record debts of people. If you'd, if you'd come and buy something from me and you couldn't pay and therefore I'd give you credit, I would write the credit on a, on a, on a, on a, on a tablet on a, on a, in wax. I'd write, Darren Chandler owes me a lot of money and I'd write it down, okay? When Darren Chandler finally, finally comes and pays me, um, then I would smooth out the wax and it would leave no trace. It would be completely smooth, blotted out, gone. You could not see it because wax, when it's melted, just returns to a smooth, thin surface. And that's what he's saying. If you will repent, God will blot out your sins. They will not be, you will not be able to see them. They're gone. Just gone. And as a result of that, times of refreshing will flow. Times of blessing will come upon you. The times of refreshing that um, links, I'm looking at the commentary, links that word refreshing, links to when, in a sense, to when Jesus in Matthew 11:28 says, Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. You will know peace and rest because your sins are wiped out. And those are blessings that you should receive and will receive now. But there's more blessings to come that you'll also receive in due course. Because Jesus will one day return and with all the fulfillment of salvation and the fulfillment of the blessings and all of creation will be restored. A miracle and a message. A miracle. A man who is crippled from birth, is healed physically and set free. Set free in many, in many different aspects, I guess. By the exercise of faith, and it looks as if it's faith through Peter, in the name of Jesus, in the authority of Jesus. And Jesus still has that authority. The name of Jesus still has the authority of God the Father. And the name of Jesus can still bring change and transformation. And we need to know that not just in our heads like a theory, but we need to believe it in our hearts. That Jesus is still the same Jesus. His power is not any different today than it was then. He's sovereign and how he chooses to use it is, is within his by his determination, not ours. But we should know that and receive the faith and exercise faith as a result. And the message, the miracle in the message is that miracle of salvation, that those who were responsible for his death could now receive the blessing of complete forgiveness of sins wiped out and the free refreshing and peace that would come through this God wants to God wants to bless us sometimes we, we say that but in our hearts we don't really believe it the truth is God wants to bless he's a God of blessing 
He wants us to know that our sins are wiped out, forgiven, cannot even be seen once the the wax has melted. He wants us to experience peace in our lives, despite all the troubles going on in our world and around about us. And he wants to know that one day he will return in glory and honor to be so that we might be with him forever. That's the miracle. That people who deserved punishment should be blessed. If only they would repent. If only they'd turn away from their sin and turn to God. If we would only repent. And we need to continue repenting. If we would repent and turn from our sin and turn to God. He wants to bless us. He wants to bless us. May we know more of that in our experience.